Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. Our interview segment today will feature the Vatican II document on the missions. We will also get a glimpse into the life and times of St. Patrick, along with reflections on the readings for this third Sunday of Lent. That and more on Wineskins. In our current issue segment, Father Jack Lavelle will talk about health and wellness. One of the greatest blessings throughout our diocese and many dioceses in the country is the establishment of quality healthcare institutions. In the Diocese of Youngstown, we have been blessed with several hospitals, nursing home facilities, retirement homes, many organizations and institutions which continue to care for all in need, especially when those needs are for those who are ill or suffering in any way. Since a Catholic healthcare institution is a community of healing and compassion, the care offered is not limited to the treatment of a disease or bodily ailment, but embraces the physical, psychological, social, and spiritual dimensions of the human person. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops' Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Services continues to state, all of these traditions are important. Whether or not you follow the Catholic religious tradition, you can take comfort in knowing that as a Catholic-sponsored healthcare system, quality Catholic healthcare for the whole person, body, mind, and spirit is always offered. We also understand that it is vitally important to offer spiritual care services to all our patients, their families, according to their personal preferences. Our Catholic health care tradition began many years before the Diocese of Youngstown was established, indeed, deep in our roots as part of the Diocese of Cleveland. Sisters, especially, began to provide quality health care in various hospital and nursing associations. We continue, in their vein, to honor the sacred dignity of life, the tradition that comes to us to this very day. Catholic hospitals and other health care institutions adhere to this fundamental belief. All life, from conception to the moment of natural death, is profound and sacred and must be treated with awe, respect, and dignity. Let's take just a few moments to look at the ethical and religious directives that help to direct all of our efforts as a Catholic healthcare institution. As a Catholic healthcare system, we operate according to these ethical and religious directives for Catholic healthcare services, often called the ERDs or the directives. This is the document that offers moral guidance on various aspects of healthcare delivery. The directives can be found also on the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. The Catholic understanding of healthcare is rooted in the basic scriptural understanding that the healing mission of Jesus touched people at the deepest level of their existence, and he sought their physical, mental, and spiritual healing. Throughout its history, the Catholic Church has been dedicated to serve the sick and all those in need. If we reflect simply on some of those more familiar stories of Jesus, we see those various healing stories. The blind, the lame, the woman caught with hemorrhages for many years, even to the point of raising Lazarus from the dead. In each of these cases, 
Jesus is restoring each of the individuals to a newer sense of health and happiness. And as such, the church has always sought to model themselves after that healing presence of Christ. There are five principles of socially responsible Catholic health care. First, to promote and defend human dignity. The right to life of every human being means the right as well as adequate health care and must be basic to every Catholic institution involved in medical services and science. Next, to care for the poor. No one can ever be turned away from a Catholic hospital because of an inability to pay. This attention to the poor, the underinsured, and the uninsured must be paramount at our Catholic hospitals. Third, to contribute to the common good. Catholic healthcare services are meant for the entire community. These services should be instigators of social change that lead to a greater respect for fundamental human rights and for the economic, social, political, and spiritual health of the entire community. Next, to exercise responsible stewardship. As the bishops state, Catholic healthcare ministry exercises responsible stewardship of available healthcare resources. A just healthcare system will be concerned both with promoting equity of care to assure the right of each person to basic health care is respected and with promoting the good health of all within the community. Finally, adherence to the moral teachings of the Church. In our society today, any Catholic health care service will be approached or even pressured to provide medical procedures that are contrary to Catholic teaching. But by refusing to provide or permit such medical procedures, Catholic healthcare affirms what it defines, a commitment to the sacredness and dignity of human life from conception until natural death. Again, in the Diocese of Youngstown, we have been blessed with a rich tradition of quality healthcare in all parts of our diocesan community. That healthcare continues in partnerships with various hospitals, the establishment of nursing homes and retirement facilities, and many clinics who continue to provide for the physical as well as the spiritual and emotional well-being of all our citizens. Additionally, through Catholic Charities, we are able to provide many services that continue to build upon the health and well-being of all who come in need. Let us continue to pray for all of those who are sick or suffering in our families, our communities, our parishes, and indeed throughout our diocese. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. St. Patrick was the Apostle of Ireland. To tell us more is Brother Dominic Calabro. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. The Apostle of Ireland was born in Britain. At the age of 16, he was kidnapped by pirates and sold into slavery in Ireland, where he was assigned to the care of the flock as a shepherd. There also, he learned the Celtic language and was converted to the Catholic faith. Later, he fled to France, where he became the disciple of St. Germain and visited the monastery near Cannes. He spent 15 years there and then was ordained to the priesthood. Sometime after, Pope Celestine I sent Palladius as a missionary to Ireland, but he died there within a year. Consequently, St. Germain ordained Patrick Bishop so that he could pick up the work started by Palladius. Patrick arrived in Ireland around 432. He converted some of the chieftains and was very successful in adapting the gospel to the Irish culture. Ireland is the only country in Western Europe in which the church was established without martyrdom. A few years before his death, 
Patrick convoked a synod and turned over the government of the church in Ireland to other bishops. It is believed that he died on March 17, 461, and was buried at Saul on Strangford Lough, where he had built his first church. Although he was venerated in Ireland and England for many centuries, his feast was not listed in the Roman calendar until 1632. The first part of the opening prayer of the Mass is new. It states that God sent St. Patrick to preach the gospel to the people of Ireland. Patrick had always considered that mission as a great gift from God. In the second part of the opening prayer, we ask that all Christians may proclaim God's love to all. The Italian version also asks that we may rediscover the missionary aspect of the faith. And the Latin text asks that we may glory in the name Christian. Like St. Patrick, we should be grateful for our Christian heritage and strive to share with others the joy of our faith. The opening prayers reads, God our Father, you sent St. Patrick to preach your glory to the people of Ireland. By the help of his prayers, may all Christians proclaim your love to all men. The alternate opening prayer reads, Father in heaven, you sent the great Bishop Patrick to the people of Ireland to share his faith and to spend his life in loving service. May our lives bear witness to the faith we profess and our love bring others to the peace and joy of your gospel. For Wineskins, I'm Brother Dominic Calabro from the Society of St. Paul. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Meckler of the Society of St. Paul. The document we're going to discuss today is the decree on the mission activity of the Church. The mission activity is at the heart of the Church. Jesus' last command was, go and tell the good news to all of creation, even more than all of nations. Preach it to the ends of the earth. And that missionary impulse to keep the church expanding and growing is a part of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit within the church. What I like about this document and, and also uh, a term that, that is used often is that we are a pilgrim people. There's that whole sense that the image is that we're on a journey. We're, um, we're constantly moving. But as we move, we share our story. We share our mission. We share Christ with others. And how important that whole idea is that we are a pilgrim people. And it's very important for us to realize that all of us are missionaries, even if we're home missionaries. And even if we have the same culture as those we're sharing the faith with, the same language, we know we have a tremendous challenge to love them where they are, but to love them so much that they will be more advanced tomorrow because of their encounter with us. Now, foreign missions is particularly challenging, where someone is so filled with the love of God and the church, he gives up his own home, his own family, his own language, and his own food, his own cultural way of doing things, and goes to other people to tell the universal story of Jesus the Christ. Does that missionary activity as we knew it 50, 100 years ago continue today? It does continue today, but with a different approach. Uh, before the Vatican Council, unconsciously, many missionaries brought their own culture to other cultures thinking that was at the essence of the gospel. 
when really it wasn't. Not all, but many of them did that. Today, someone who goes to a foreign land to share Christ has that enormous task of putting behind him his own cultural values and taking the purity and simplicity of the gospel to others and seeing those values in the other culture that can be united with the values of the kingdom of God and promoting them. What about, and I know the document talks about this, what about a missionary going into a country where they have no idea or have ever heard of Christ? How important is that missionary's role to be sensitive and respectful of cultures and ideas when they go into these different countries? Well, if they're not, for every one convert that they may get, they will turn off maybe 50 people to think this faith is crazy, doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with common sense as we live it out in our daily lives. And so that understanding of the culture that they're moving into is critically important for a long-term benefit to the church, to the people, to the kingdom of God. We know that the missionary activity that uh, we were so used to hearing happening overseas and abroad happens right here in our own nation, in our own country, and sometimes in our own communities. For example, we've reached out to the Native American community. How important is mission activity right here in our own time, in our own space? Well, it's very important. And here, too, we have to be attuned to the fact that the laity are called to be missionaries. And so you'll see people going to the Appalachian Mountains, committing themselves for one year, two years, to bring help to those areas, but also the gospel to those areas. And so not only priests and nuns and brothers and monks have a missionary duty, but the laity as well. You know, oftentimes, years ago when we thought about missions, we talked about the Peace Corps, you know, Mm -hmm. people going into these countries where they needed help. And so they weren't necessarily going on a, a religious journey or mission, but they were going more in a humanitarian way. Is that coupled with what we do as well? Well, it is, but we do put the spiritual first because although there is physical hunger and poverty, there's also that spiritual hunger and spiritual destitution that the world suffers from, and we have an abundance of wealth to feed them on those areas while we only have a limited amount that we could feed them on the human level. What I think oftentimes is wonderful is many of our young people in our educational institutions are doing this. Many of our high schools, actually, kids go to uh, Central America or to Haiti or to Africa to not only in these humanitarian ways, but primarily going as a witness, as a Christian witness, and to share that with the other, the people in those times and places. How important is that for us? to recognize that we need to do this at an early age. Well, once you've experienced anything like that, you're forever changed. And small children, of course, are very open to children of other races, other religions, even other languages. 
And if they intermingle in nursery schools, daycare, they get on that right track. They might have best friends forever from a different race or culture or even religion. But it's also important for us, especially when people reach high school, where they're looking for ideals. And if we could give them ideals worth living for and even ideals worth dying for, I think they will respond positively and it'll keep them on the right track in their lives. I think another thing that this document uh, talks about is that whole sense of conversion. And it's different from converting. So what's the difference between converting someone or a conversion? Well, conversion could be many things, but there is a process where a person could give up their prejudices, give up their narrow views of the world, they can embrace a larger vision of life, and that's a conversion experience. Now, in that process, some will convert to a new religion. Their own religion of their youth didn't satisfy them, and this new exposure, say, to Catholicism or to Christ, so moves them that they embrace this faith in its entirety. And there's hundreds of thousands of people doing that every single year. And of course, this missionary activity of the church finds its roots in the Acts of the Apostles with Paul's missionary activities, a saint that's very close to uh, your community. How important is that to understand our roots, biblical roots, as missionary? Well, Paul would say in this letter to the Philippians that anything that's good, wholesome, uplifting, we could embrace entirely as believers in Christ. And of course, reject anything of the flesh that is incompatible with it. But St. Paul in the first century not only delivered spiritual messages, but he was the first to start a great international collection to help the poor of Jerusalem, not to convert them, but to sustain them. And so that is at the heart of that great apostle's vision of what spreading the gospel was all about. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doi.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is from the CD entitled, What Wondrous Love. It is by Stacy Burt and Father Bob Lengerich. i
Our scripture reflection for this third Sunday of Lent will be by Father Scott Kopp. He is pastor of Christ the Servant Church in Canton. I love reading the early church fathers. Their writings and theology are filled with scriptural allusions and everyday life allegories. A favorite of mine for today's gospel comes from St. Ephraim the Syrian, who lived in the 300s. His comments on the woman at the well read like a nature documentary. For our reflection today, perhaps we can view this whole incident through that same lens, a nature documentary. With the prey traveling daily to the waterhole, they go in a group to watch over each other and protect each other. The weak and the strays will be easy targets. So why is this one by herself? Somehow, she is not accepted by the others or has hidden herself from them. The whole clan would have come in the early morning or late at night, when the sun is not so hot, but she comes alone in the middle of the day, when the sun is blazing overhead. The hints of the number of her husbands and current living companion point to the reasons. Alone at the watering place, her startled words to Jesus come from a place of fear. Here could be a predator. Her great thirst has brought her here, and so the water is the bait for the hunter. For Jesus is indeed the hunter, seeking out the lost souls, catching them not for destruction, but for fulfillment. Their conversation is a duel of words, as he keeps attacking her defenses, until she is left with the stark truth of who she is and what she needs. He has caught her, and she is his. But next we see what was also going on, her conversion was only the first step of his master plan. He doesn't just want to catch up the strays, he wants the whole pack. So now he can use the woman as the bait for the rest of the town. Little did she know, and little do we understand still, that the Lord is the ultimate hunter, seeking us out, leaving bait to attract us along the way, until he catches us and never lets us go. We too have an incredible thirst a longing for the holy, though we at times cannot describe it that way. We simply know that something is missing. So we find ourselves walking in a fog, taking up whatever we can find. But in the mist as well is Christ, alluring us, drawing us closer. The little miracles and the longings themselves are all bait to draw us closer to the truth. These draw us closer to an understanding of what we need. Yet that thirst was placed in us from creation by God. That longing for God was given by God. We mistakenly read Scripture as if it were the story of humanity seeking God, but truly it is the story of God seeking humanity. 
we feel we are on this long and painful journey towards our own salvation. But along this path, God is always seeking us out, calling us to turn and look, to see our salvation at hand. Then the path becomes one of love, a response to the summons of God, to go seek the lost and lonely, to bring others to the life-giving waters. This need and desire for such waters never ends. We hear the warning throughout Scripture of, Harden not your heart. When the clay of a vessel becomes too hard, it can no longer bend, it becomes brittle. We are called to stay adaptable to God's call and command, to stay moist and supple. To do this, we need a constant supply of water, to become ourselves a well of living water. This only happens when we stay connected to the source of the living water, Jesus Christ. After her encounter with Jesus, the woman goes to the village, but has left her jug. She no longer needs the container, for as an earthen vessel, she has become the container. She now rushes to bring others to the source she has found. Like Mary Magdalene on Easter morning, she has become an apostle. Through her encounter with Jesus, she has been purified and now can be sent. Her conversion is the source and high point to share where she found relief. We too, those sinners, are invited to be washed clean. Again and again, we are plunged into the font of salvation. Only once in the sacrament of baptism, but continuously through the Eucharist and confession. We are sent from this font so that others may drink, that others may find Christ. The dryness and aridity of the liturgical environment for Lent can help us meditate then on this absolute need for constant refreshment from the Lord. We see this thirst in ourselves, and we are called to always see it and help relieve it in those around us. For Wineskins, I'm Father Scott Kopp. In the Gospel today, the people said to the woman at the well, No longer does our faith depend on your story. We have seen for ourselves and know that this is God's chosen one. That is a first-hand faith that will stand the test of time. What about your faith and my faith? Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Sunday, and may God be with you. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many.
a message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.